Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Joining me on the show today is Andrew Selly. He's over 30 years of business experience, more than 20 of them at board level. He is currently the CEO of a 10-figure turnover food company and now sharing his secrets of how leaders of underperforming businesses can explode their profits with his new book, Ignite Your Business. But before we get a chance to speak with Andrew, it's the Leadership Hacking News. Big brands have figured out how to gain attention and make themselves stand out from others. So what can we learn from them to grow our own personal brand? Interesting new research by Duke University found big brands are so powerful at compelling commitment they can influence happiness in marriages and partnerships. And when you have to live with your partner's brand choices, it can even reduce happiness if you don't share the same passion. Brand credibility is also important. A study about perceptions of value is really intriguing. Research at the University of Bonn discovered when people thought wine was expensive, they rated it significantly better than when they thought the price was cheap or lower. We can learn from this too. When people perceive your value, they will be more likely to remember you and to select you for all kinds of opportunities. From the research, I've distilled three top ways which we can leverage the corporate approach. Number one, be gravitational. First, create emotional connections based on rapport. One of the key skills for the future of work will be the ability for us to build relationships more deeply, more quickly, often through virtual means. Positivity is a magnet. We want to be around others who create that positive vibe. Listen to others, tune in and invest in learning about them. Building your brand is ironically less about you and more about others. Demonstrate humility and avoid arrogance. Be gravitational and draw people to you and genuinely support others. Research finds people select companies and brands based on how much they can also contribute to communities and who demonstrate that social conscience. Personal branding is like this too. It's not all about you. It's often about how you enter into relationships with others and how you can help care for them. Number two, be brave. Sometimes it can be really hard for us to put ourselves out there, but effectiveness in personal branding requires you to speak up, to take a stand, to move forward and be confident. The most successful brands are visible and memorable because they do put themselves out there. For people, the phrase, fake it until you make it, is quite apt here. You may not have all of the things figured out yet. You may not have all of the self-assurity you need to keep that momentum going. Worry less about perfection and focus on making progress. The best opportunities come from taking those steps into areas that we don't really know about. Staying open to opportunities and possibilities and that learning new can really be quite alluring. Jump into the project for which you're mostly but not fully prepared for. And in doing so, you can develop your own skills along the way. 
and consider saying to yourself, step up, step out and step forward. Number three, be substantive. Building your personal brand must always include substance and reliability. Be sure you've got something to offer in terms of your skills and your talents. Seek to learn and develop yourself constantly for sure. Your best personal brand will be built based on the value you add to others and how you bring it to your best and your team. We've all worked with people who may talk a good game, but actually don't deliver. These people tend to be the ones who float from job to job or company to company because those around them figure them out. Successful brands deliver value time after time consistently. And your personal brand is like this as well. Be the person who rolls their sleeves up and follows through. Others can always count on to deliver that quality work, the one who maintains their relationships over time. And when you do, you'll benefit from a really strong network and solid lasting connections that you'll be able to rely on for years. So in summary, your success will be based on the relationships and meaningful interactions you have with others. And there is no formula for personal branding, but it's merely a mindset to help appreciate others, invest in relationships and be your personal best. And this approach will ultimately elevate your brand and get you noticed. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any stories, insights or information from anywhere in the world, please get in touch with us. Our special guest on today's show is Andrew Selly. He's a proven and successful high-impact business leader. He's a CEO of Bidcorp UK, a multi-billion pound company. And after 30 years in lots of different sectors and businesses, 20 years operating at board level, has now written the book, Ignite Your Business. Andrew, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Really excited to get into the whole principle of igniting your business. Stories, of course, that you've shared in your book, but experience of the last 30 years, uh, which I'm looking to hack into from now. So perhaps before we get into that, you can just give us a little bit of the backstory as to how you've arrived in what you're doing. I started my career sort of, as you say, 30 years ago, doesn't seem that long to me, but uh, 30 years ago at Coca-Cola in the UK, it was on the um, bottling side of the business, not the brand owner side. Um, so we were the bottler and distributor for Coke. Uh, it was a very fast growing business. Um, just as I joined, they switched over from bottling and selling Pepsi to bottling and selling Coke, which is interesting, both from a... Mm an organization and cultural perspective, but also because it meant that overnight the business was four times bigger than it was previously. So I think there was just a lot of opportunity there and I worked in a lot of different departments and I sort of moved um, from sort of graduate trainee through to sales director in in 10 years and left after after 12 years to move across to, uh, to Bidcorp. And I think, yeah, unusually people would say I've, I've been there for, for over 20 years, which I think is is probably unusual in, in this day and age. But I think the reason is I keep getting opportunities there that, that challenge me and excite me and, and reward me. So, you know, over the time that I've been there, I've run the food logistics business, you know, doing all the, the daily food supplies for Burger King, KFC, Pizza Hut and all those those big brands. Um, I've, I've run the military supply chain business where we did all the worldwide food supply for the armed forces. So we had to set up and operate depots in Afghanistan and Iraq and Sierra Leone, etc. Um, I established our business in the Middle East and the Baltics and Spain. 
And then for the last seven years, I've been running our sort of core hospitality business in the UK, where we, we supply all types of food, both uh, packaged and fresh, and beers, wines and spirits and non-food and everything to the hospitality industry. So we turn over about £2 billion. We've got about 6,000 employees and we've got about 60,000 customers in the hospitality sector in the UK. So yeah, obviously big business. From, that, from that perspective, obviously, it's been quite a challenging year, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I can imagine. Yeah, love to get into it. You, you are what I would call the archetype of entrepreneurship. Often people have this perception that in order to become a great leader you've got to bounce between businesses and you are a perfect example of taking all of those natural occurring opportunities that are presented it in the environment you're in and are now you know leading a, a really large and successful business too yeah i think i'm fortunate insofar as the the, the business big corp is it's a global business but it's it's ethos is entirely um decentralized so i think we operate in mm. sort of 36 different countries around the world and each country just operates as its own individual business and sort of authority and autonomy is decentralized down and, and that's the culture that we then take within our business so we push down sort of responsibility and encourage as you say entrepreneurship entrepreneurship of of the people who work for us because you know that's what makes i think the, the the business and the culture more interesting and exciting and you get you know a different type of person there who wants that responsibility and that challenge mm, indeed now, I would imagine that given the environment you're in and given the organization you lead, the last 18 months or so has been a particularly challenging one. How has that changed the focus of what you're doing with uh, Bidcorp? I think it hasn't necessarily changed the focus. It's certainly changed a lot of what we do. Um, as, as, as I say, as a supplier to hospitality, um, during the last 12 months of COVID, our business has, has really gone on a bit of a roller coaster. Um, so when we had the first lockdown, our, our business declined by 70%. That's 7-0 uh, in a week, uh, which is obviously a bit of a challenge. Um, we, we've had certain bits of the business which have kept going. So we do supply food, etc., to hospitals and care homes and schools and prisons. But obviously all of the supply to restaurants, hotels, nightclubs, theme parks, um, travel and leisure outlets, um, all stopped as well. So I think in, as, as the sort of the leader of the business, you, your focus doesn't necessarily change insofar as you know, your focus is always on you know, strategy development and execution, you know, managing and, and developing and caring for the team, looking for how you're going to invest in the business going forwards, you know, dealing with big customers, big suppliers, et cetera. So that hasn't necessarily changed, but clearly our <laughs> our strategy and approach and what we've actually executed over the last 12 months has, has changed quite a lot. I can well imagine. We're going to get into actually how your Ignite model has helped you in your business because you actually use it as a case study in your book, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Yeah. What would be really interesting is just to get a sense of, you know, how did the book come about? What was the kind of inspiration for you? Um, I think everybody says people have a book in them. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I, I've you know, spent a lot of my time trying to develop Myself over the years, I've always had a keen interest, as I, as I know that you have as well, in terms of reading, you know, business books, broadening my knowledge, trying to learn new new ideas and new and new initiatives. Um, and I've, to be honest, probably found that 40, 50 percent of the, the books that I've read were just 
totally dry and I probably didn't even finish them. They were quite theoretical. It was almost like doing a, a business studies degree instead of reading you know, a, an education, a motivational book. And I suppose, you know, with a little bit of arrogance, I thought maybe I could do better or do different or make make a book that was easier to read and more practical in terms of um, its application, something that you could read and do something with straight away rather than read and try and work out what, what they were talking about. And also a book that you could just dip into. You can read it as a whole thing or you could just dip into a specific area where you need some help or you've got an issue. So... Yeah, it's probably three years ago I started writing it and mapping it out and started off really enthusiastic and bashed out the the skeleton and then just added to it over the next couple of years. But then when lockdown did arrive, clearly there was a lot less commuting because a lot of, we were working from home a lot of the time. Yeah. Um I used to do a lot quite a lot of international travel within the sort of the big corp group, which obviously disappeared. So I thought, you know, I can either watch a load of Netflix box set so I can actually just get this book finished so I decided to get to get it finished and get it published and uh, get it out there excellent and congratulations by the way I've read the book and one of the things that struck me when I read it is how absolutely practical it is so you've got a sense of a story that you tell through Terra Nova interestingly is 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 Terra Nova a real business is that is that is that a kind of a, a guise of a another business maybe you've worked alongside uh no no it's a, it's a it's a made up it's a made up name oh, interesting i think if you've ever read uh, ken blanchard the one minute manager yeah. i i really like that that series of books that he did because they were sort of you know an allegorical sort of approach to to business so it's told through a story and I sort of found that no matter how many times you try to find an example in business for the point you were making, it wasn't always exactly backing up the point you were making. So I thought I'd actually write my own story alongside it and sort of integrate the points I was trying to make into that story, which, as you know, sort of shows the the right way Mm. and the wrong way of, of doing the elements that are covered in each chapter. And what I particularly liked about it is you kind of take people on a little bit of a story, then you give them the sense check and you get them to do some reflection on their own business. And here's some tools as well. So it's a real practical playbook all the way through each of the steps of the model. So let's just spin through what Ignite and the Ignite model means. And maybe we can get into some of those sections as we get through it. Yes, certainly. Just just tell me where you want to delve in any deeper. I mean, I I do like an acronym. So, yes, Ignite is... is, uh... Yeah, an acronym and the first the i stands for inspirational vision um and i think there's there's two points to that firstly you know you need to know where you're going if you're leading a business or even just leading a team you need to have a vision of of what it is you're trying to do and what your purpose is etc but i think the bit that people often miss out is the inspirational bit you know, it's got to be it's got to be something that engages people's emotions and and makes them want to contribute and makes them want to do that extra minute or extra mile and uh, and and make that extra effort so having something that engages people's emotions rather than just something that they intellectually understand i think is is important so that's the whole bit around inspirational vision and values of what the business stands for what I've found in having worked with lots of different clients and businesses where they spend quite a little bit of time on the vision, they miss that inspirational bit, which is dead easy to say, but to create the emotional connection that helps people move from one place to another is a bit more challenging than people perceive. 
what's been your experience of that kind of shift between just having a, a vision and making it inspirational? Yeah, I think the the, the point I, that I do make in the book is yeah, the worst thing that can happen is that you know the uh, the leadership team go off into a into a little huddle and come back to the business and say, hey, here's the here's the vision, and they stick a few posters up around the business and that's it. You know, you really have to to live and breathe the vision because. Um, you know, the more you can involve your team or the business in creating that, the better, I think. Um, so when when we created our values, for example, at Bid Food, you know, we, we had about 50 different listening groups across the business, you know, speaking to all people in all parts of the country at all levels to really understand what they thought was the, the essence of of working at Bid Food and what the true values were. And then we were able to distill that and basically play it back to people. So they were all felt involved in that and and therefore you're giving them something that they've already been engaged in rather than just trying to sell them something that you've thought of but I do think it's about people underestimate how much you have to keep reinforcing the vision Mm. um, because clearly people come and go within the business so you know somebody who might have started you know, a couple of months ago has never heard the vision so if you're not constantly repeating it and engaging people and explaining it then it gradually dilutes its effectiveness um but also you know you think you, everyone lives and breathes it like you do but they don't yeah <laughs> you know most people you know are are, are working because they want to have a, have a have a job get paid do well for their family get on with other things in life and you know they're not thinking and living and breathing the business necessarily like you are every day so you have to find a way of constantly refreshing it and explaining it and engaging with people on on the vision and on the, and on the values and uh yeah that's something that, that we would do every, all the time within within bid food is anytime we put out a piece of communication we always try and relate it to a value or the vision or something and just you know reference that back so people can always sort of make that link back to oh yes i understand what this is talking about because it's this part of the vision or it's that value or or whatever but you really do just have to keep banging on about it Mm. i'm afraid for for want of a better phrase you know because uh you know you're 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 the evangelist you're the one who's uh, who's meant to be uh having that passion and injecting that passion in the business. And if you don't, then no one else is. That's right. And of course, they look to leadership to make sure that that's congruent with all those messages. So those constant points or nudges to activity that you're completing as a business and how it links back to that vision is incredibly powerful. Absolutely. And I think, again, talk about that in the book. And that's quite often where things break down, Mm. because if if your actions don't back up your words, then people will not listen to your words. So if you say, you know, we, you know, we value people within this business, but then there's somebody who completely disregards the people who work for them, but because they're doing a good job, you just sort of ignore it. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to lose them as a performer. So you ignore their deficiencies in the way that they value and deal with people. Um, people instantly spot, as you say, there's no congruency between what you're saying and what you're doing. So it's really important that your actions you know, back up your your vision and your values. Otherwise, uh, it's pointless. And it's no surprise the G in your model is galvanised into action. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So galvanised into action, you know, you've got to walk the talk, as they say. And uh, I think the other really important thing is you, you, you've, you've got to just get going. 
I think too many people spend too much time planning and yeah, tweaking and trying to get to what they think is the perfect model of what they're trying to do. Um, but but you know that as soon as you engage with a an employee or a customer or a supplier, that model is going to change anyway. So you might as well just get going, get on with it and then tweak it as you go. But really about, you know, as you say, galvanizing and motivating people at all levels and all different you know, cultures, et cetera, within the business. So that's obviously the key part, because if you've got the vision, but nobody's doing anything, then you're not going anywhere. And there's a nice build to end, which is nurture. So you kind of set your vision, you've got people galvanizing to action, and then it's around nurturing that talent and that activity forward, right? Yeah, and, and nurturing nurturing the team effectively, because, you know, unless you are you know, a, a, a small business, um, you know, you're going to have people working for you and you're going to have people through whom you need to deliver results. And you know, the only way you can deliver the results that, that you want is by investing your time into nurturing and caring for your team, making sure they've got the right skills, making sure they're happy and motivated, making sure they understand the, you know, the vision and the journey that you're on and the role that they play within that, and making sure that they understand what you expect of them in terms of the way they manage their teams or engage with their customers or, or whatever. So, you know, certainly as you know, in my, you know, in my role as CEO, then obviously a lot of my time is just spent around the team mm. um, because uh, obviously I, I'm not delivering those goods to the customer. You know, ultimately we've got you know, thousands of drivers and warehouse guys who are, who are doing that work. So it's all about how you communicate and nurture the team to, to flow down through the business. Indeed. Now, what was really interesting is when I looked at I, which is increase everything, I looked at it for a moment and I, I read through your chapter in the book. And as I finished reading it, I recognized that unconsciously, this has been what I've been doing through transformation. But you've taken that kind of whole high level of focus, activity and energy and, and applied it in a BAU sense to get people to think differently about what they're doing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think increase everything. Um, it's probably the most tenuous one in the acronym, to be any, <laughs> to be honest. It's about the whole sort of yeah, the 10x approach, the type of approach that the likes of uh, of Grant Cardone, etc., would would sort of support. Insofar as you know, the the, the rule that, that he would say is, you know, in any situation, you've got four options. You can retreat, in which case you're going to go backwards. You can do nothing in which case you're going to go backwards because other people will be doing something. You can take what would be the normal amount of action in that situation, which may have some result, or you can take massive action. And generally speaking, if you're taking massive action in those situations, you're going to be outperforming you know, the competition. And you know, the, the key for me is that, is that very often we, we launch something or we launch a project and I think certainly my tendency is I always look at the things that aren't quite working well. So, oh, okay, those two things are working well over there, but these two things here aren't working as well as we hoped. And you sort of focus your attention on the things that aren't working as well. And you sort of increase your, maybe your investment or your focus on those areas to improve them. But you should also not forget, you know, where, where you've got areas that are working better than you thought, you've got to be increasing you know, your focus on those areas as well, mm. because, you know, you've got, you've got some momentum, you've got some traction. So actually you could double down on that and, and get even further ahead. But I think generally speaking, we often, well, there's two things happen. Either we focus on the weak areas 
and then we're not maximizing the strong areas or we go well actually these two areas are working that's great these two areas aren't so we'll get rid of them um and you know very often people sort of stop investment in projects too soon when they probably could have made them work if they'd have increased the investment and the focus on them or they aren't investing enough in the areas that are doing well so it's a it's a it's a mixture so depending which way your natural balance is whether you're always focusing on the good things or always focusing on the things that aren't working the message is you should really be focusing on both yeah <laughs> all the time at some point you need to cut your losses and go okay i've really tried with this and it isn't working and so you know cut it um but yeah, not before you've given it a full effort and a full focus. I also noticed that within this part of the book, there's a bit about mindset here as well, about how people will routinely do what they've just always done if you don't really shift the energy and focus forward. Yes, and I think, and that's not a, a, a criticism, that that's a, a, a fact of life. It's behavioral. I, I mean, it's yeah. naturally we entrench to what we're comfortable doing, don't we? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, when I, when I, took over in my, in my current role the business had been performing reasonably well they'd been growing at you know three to five percent in terms of bottom line for the last three or five years and yeah therefore when I was challenging people to say you know what what do you think we can achieve in the next five years people would go well you know maybe 20 percent 25 percent you know thinking that that would be a little bit of a stretch um so I just said no we're gonna we're gonna triple the profit so that's effectively what we set out to do was yeah, increase by 300 percent over the next five years um unfortunately the fifth year the last year was uh, the one that's just gone but we we were on track to uh we wouldn't quite triple but we were a long way north of 25 percent. so i think it's about there's a massive lesson there isn't there absolutely in so much as had you not had that approach from the outset then it wouldn't have allowed you to ride the storm as well no without that in the in the bag so to speak no and I, but i also think you have to do it credibly so i didn't just go hey you know we're going to go from three percent to three hundred percent you know you had to you had to lay out some some milestones which we talk about in the, in the communication chapter you, know, you had to lay out some credible milestones that say actually if we do this and if we do that and if we do the other then you can paint a path as to how you can get there not that it's easy but at least it's feasible and you know if people apply themselves and stretch themselves yeah and your communication chapter you call tell 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 which is the t in your model yeah and there's a theme actually across all of the different um layers of your business that that is really consistent around that never stop communicating tell us a little bit about that well i think it's just the one thing that you can never overdo um is, is communication obviously um you know we have a challenge in our business we're, we're multi-site so you know 25 plus sites around the country multi-cultural in terms of the, the different locations of, of, of those sites and uh, you know different job roles within that everything from you know you know cleaner through to warehouse through to driver through to telesales to sales professionals to national sales professionals you know accountants it marketing digital yeah we've got the whole spectrum of, of of employees and ages and cultures and and you have to find a way to communicate your message to all of those people in a way that suits them 
And I think that's the key in, in communication is you have to communicate in a way that, that suits the recipient, not in a way that suits you as the deliverer. So I think, you know, the, the, the point I make, for example, is, you know, we have teams who work in the freezer in our, in our warehouses. So they're working at like minus 20 degrees um, every day. And, you know, it doesn't really work if you say, hey, you know, come into the office and sit down for half an hour because they're not, they're frankly not used to being that warm and they usually nod off in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if you're doing it during their day, they're actually looking at you going, well, actually, you're taking up my time when I should be working and I know I'm going to have to work twice as hard when I get back into the warehouse to finish the job. So it's the wrong environment. It's creating the wrong situation because they're not really listening they're thinking about what they've got to do when they've finished etc and so you've really got to think about you know in that instance i've got to communicate to this team actually i'm just going to do it down in the warehouse maybe not in the freezer because that's a bit cold but you know down <laughs> it down in the warehouse in an environment that they're used to i'm going to bring them in early and pay for pay them for their time so that they're not feeling that i'm impinging on their time i'm actually creating space and they know it's important and maybe we'll lay on you know on some coffee and bacon sandwiches or something. Again, it's just those little things completely then change the, the the environment that those people are listening to what you're saying in. So regardless of the message, you know, you've completely changed the way that they're listening to you. They're listening to you with a way that says, okay, it must be important. They bought me in, they're paying, paying me. They're not impinging on my time. Oh, God cup of coffee and a bacon sandwich fantastic you know that that whole attitude is different in the way they're receiving the message and and then obviously it's going to be very different for you know your your digital team in the office or your sales team out on the road you've got to find the right way to communicate um again to the right teams in the right place so again it's just to me something you can never never overdo and particularly in a pandemic of course when you're in a crisis my experience tells me that more communication, regular communication is exactly what people need, not less. But again, ironically, in many businesses and in many teams, the leaders under duress and pressure forget the importance of that regular communication and indeed listening, of course, which is part of that communication process, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And we we started probably from like the week after lockdown. So after the week after our business had declined by by 70%, we started doing daily communication. So, which is quite a challenge, to be honest. You know, daily, daily um, emails, memos, whatever that that either people can receive or they can be briefed out in 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 their workplace. You know, just to say to people, you know, this is a situation. Trying to be honest, you know, this is what's happened with the volume. Clearly, this is what's happening with whatever government support is coming in and what we're going to take advantage of. This is what we're doing. You know, this is to to keep you all safe in the workplace because obviously we've still had, as I say, sort of you know thirty percent of the business going through. So we still got to operate all the all the depots. So this is what we're doing from a health and safety point of view, and just that regular daily communication, which we probably carried on for like four months, um, and then maybe reduced it to like twice a week or, or weekly, etc. As as things change, was was really important. I think in making sure that people understood what was happening. In the absence of that communication, what typically happens is folk make up their own stories and then they're either right or wrong. And usually they're wrong because they haven't got all the insight and information. And that can be really quite toxic to an organisation, can't it? Absolutely. I mean, as, the, as they say, you know, pe- people will fill a vacuum 
Um, yeah. So if you if you if you're not putting the information out there, as you say, people will assume their own. The last E is embed, and it makes loads of sense that you would want to embed all of these things. But tell us what that really means to you. I think as a as a leader, you've got to have almost like a, a pipeline of initiatives that are coming through the business. And clearly, you can you're generally focusing on one at a time. But as you've you know communicated your new initiative or new strategy or new category that you're working on or whatever, and you've been through the process of you know explaining and communicating, getting everybody on board, getting the team involved communicating to everybody how it fits into the strategy, et cetera. At some point, you've got to embed that into the business and have that as business as usual. Otherwise, you can't release your time to to bring through the next initiative. So I think very often you, that's where you get sort of CEO or MD or whatever overload where they're trying to spin all these plates because right. they, they haven't got the way of actually saying, okay, this, this is now part of what we do. Let, let it go. And hopefully, if you've you know developed your team and communicated effectively and whatever, then you can embed that to the business as usual. So, so maybe you should be like seventy percent working on the current initiative, and then maybe thirty percent on the next one that you bring through. And then, as you embed that current initiative into business as usual, you can switch the thirty percent on the second one into seventy percent, and then start to bring another new one through. But I like that. I do believe you've always got to have that that. Uh, I think the the chapter I put at the end, which didn't fit into the uh, into the acronym, was never stop. Never stop, yeah. Because because you just can't stop. Because if you stop, you're going to go backwards. So you've always got to have that that sort of uh, pipeline or conveyor belt of of ideas and strategies and and whatever. Because you know, fact of life is not everything's going to work as well. So yeah. um, you you can't bet the bet the house on uh, on one initiative and find out it doesn't work. You've got to have a a pipeline coming through and. And then that means you're going to have to embed them, which means integrate them into the business and then optimize the performance as, as you go on. And then go again and again and again, yeah. and which is why you've been around in the industry you've been in for so long and had such great experience in doing so. <laughs> Let's hope so. so given that you were pulling together your book over the course of the, the last year and, you know, whilst it's called, ignite your business it could be ignite yourself ignite your team ignite your department it's a model that you can take across lots of different teams and situations but how did that play out for you during the pandemic was there a particular moment when you thought gosh that's definitely a bit of focus for g or that's definitely a bit more of i yes i think the 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 really pleasing thing for us during the pandemic was that the, the things that I talked about in terms of the way that the values had been created with involvement from, from everyone in the business. Yeah. The pandemic showed that they were real and they were the way mm. that people conducted themselves rather than, um, you know, just a poster on the wall. So we only have three and they rhyme. So that's really helpful. So it's care, share and dare. Um, so care is to take pride in what you do, no matter what you do. Share is work together to, achieve great results and dare is take brave steps to deliver exceptional results. So care obviously came to the fore during, uh, during the pandemic because, yeah, we needed to make sure that, um, yeah, we were caring both for the teams that were still in the business and were working hard and under stressful conditions, but also, you know, at the peak, we probably had 60% of the workforce on furlough and at home, which brings its own challenges from mental health and wellbeing perspective. I think 
share and dare really came through in the way that we realigned our business. So we actually went with our major competitor and worked on a sort of food relief program for the government. So there was about one or half a million people who were stuck at home who couldn't physically get out of the house because they weren't allowed to because they were clinically vulnerable and they didn't have family support to help them in terms of shopping, etc. And so with our major competitor, we set up a sort of nationwide home delivery service to half a million people in seven days and got that product procured because it wasn't the sort of the normal product that we would sell. We were procuring, packing and distributing that product um, within seven days. And, and to do that with the people who were normally, you know, toe to toe in the in the streets when we we're in the restaurants was was amazing. But it was actually mm-hmm. done because we both had that that vision of here's a group of people who need our help. Let's come together and sort this out rather than thinking about, you know, the old um, competitive elements. And I think it was described as the biggest uh, food relief effort since World War Two. Yeah. So it was clearly quite quite a, a big thing. But really, again, that's that's the whole share and dare, you know, doing something really quite different um, and working together with our competitor to deliver something that was important. But again, really showed to me how having that shared vision, even in a wider team that now involves your your competitors, still works because it actually went like a dream you know, um, because we're all just focused on the the end goal. It's a fantastic achievement and uh, congratulations. I think it is an amazing feat to have had to pull that off in such a short space of time. And I just wonder, as you were were sharing that, has that reduced that competitive edge? Is there there more synergies that exist as a result of that now? No. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of gloves gloves back on then. Yeah, I mean, you know. Back into the corners. There's sort of only sort of two two main national players in, in the marketplace so there's lots of local players so on a on a local basis we compete with a lot more companies but for the big national accounts we, we tend to just compete with uh, with one so uh yeah it's business as usual but i think you know clearly you've got yeah, a higher level of, of respect and understanding but at the end of the day we're now back focused on our own um, yeah. businesses and our own shareholders so Brilliant. So this part of the show, Andrew, we get to turn that leadership lens on you and I'm getting an opportunity to hack into your experience of leading teams and businesses. So the first place I'd like to go is to find out what your top three leadership hacks might be. <laughs> OK, um, I think the first one is is really important for, for for leadership and for life, I would say, is is that you really do need to know yourself. You need to know who you are and what you you stand for you know what are your red lines in terms of what you will do and won't do etc um and i think you really need to be comfortable with yourself and like yourself because you know you can't really create a culture and create a business or or even be in a relationship until you really understand who you are and you're happy and comfortable in your skin and the more that you do then the easier it is to, I think, adapt to situations because you know where you stand around around different things. So, and I think that's that's really important. And I think that we're very often influenced by other people and what other people think and what other people say and what strong characters may say and what people who we respect and admire may say. Um, but you've always got to sort of 
centre back into your true north and your compass mm. to say does that align with what I, what I want to do and what I stand for so true I think that's that's really important I think from a what I've always found really good and, and one of the best you know I've, I've said I read some business books that were boring you know one of the best books I've ever read was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey and I, and yeah that you know, it's a great book when something just sticks with you forever. And the thing that's always stuck with me from that book was around the the sort of the time planning quadrant, um, whereby you've got the two axes, one of which is not important up to important, mm-hmm. and one of which is urgent or not urgent up to urgent. Um, and it's really about how you categorize your to-do list into those four quadrants. So, you know, if it's not important and not urgent, then... <laughs> Actually, you shouldn't really be doing it. Um, mm. Delete it or delegate it. If it's urgent but not important, it's basically a time waster that's snuck onto your agenda. And again, you need to get rid of it or delegate it. Obviously, if it's urgent and important, you just need to get on with it. But the area that gets neglected is the important but not urgent things. And, and those are the things that tend to be neglected if you're wasting your time on those other areas. So that's the area where things like vision and values and team development and strategy are going to sit in that you know they're really important but they're not urgent so mm. you really need to manage your time to make sure you've got time to spend on those yeah not urgent but very important things so that would be my second uh, point i would say and i think um i think again the other one to me is 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 a, is a life attitude is is you know always talk to everybody and always find out everything. So, you know, you'll find out more talking to the guys around the back of the warehouse or in the smoking shelter or the the cleaner or the telesales operator than you will by speaking to to the leaders. You know, you'll you'll find out what's really happening rather than what people want you to hear. And, you know, I think always talk to everybody about everything, even if you're asking people, two different people, the same question, you know, if you're getting different answers, then you, you'll get an inkling that things aren't in alignment. So, and I think it's really important as well for leaders to be seen to be, you know, communicating and engaging with, with everybody in the business. Yeah, I love that. Super stuff. Great advice. Thank you. So the next part of the show, we call it Hack to Attack. So this is typically where something in either your life or work hasn't worked out. But as a result, you now are using it as a positive. What would be your hack to attack? without overdoing the attacks my my hack to attack would be to attack um every situation uh, and you know I, I do think obviously that what hasn't worked out for us in the last year has been has been the pandemic and you know in any situation where you're faced with a challenge some people are going to hesitate because you know that i think you know when when there's a real shock to the system there's a lot of people will hesitate and evaluate and try and understand all of the implications of the situation. And I think if you attack in that situation, you just get on and do something, then that's going to be your opportunity. So, like I say, you know, we we had a real hit to the business and the volume crashed, but we sort of proactively got that contract with our competitor by by pushing for it. And then off the back of that, you know, we've developed, you know, a direct consumer offering as well as just a, as a business to business offering. So, you know, we've sort of adapted that skill set to actually say, well, actually, is there a demand for, 
you know, catering quality, restaurant quality products direct to the consumer. Clearly, our pack sizes are, are bigger than normal, etc. But for a monthly shop or for family events or for whatever, you know, there's an opportunity there. So we've taken by sort of attacking the situation, we've developed another opportunity. So I think my my hack would be uh, attack when others are hesitating, and then you're always going to be at an advantage. I think. Brilliant, and you only find out by doing, of course. Indeed. Yeah. So the last bit of our show with you today is to get to do a bit of time travel and you get to bump into Andrew at 21, give him some advice. What would it be? I think it would be back to the to the point that I made because if I, if I look back to myself at 21, then I probably did take too much account of what other people were thinking and saying, which to a certain extent I think is natural, you know, in terms of, you know, the less confident you are in yourself. Um, the more you may you know, adapt your behaviour to to others, but my message to 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 myself would be, you know, again, know yourself, understand yourself, know what you stand for, and don't be afraid to stand up for what you stand for. Um, and I think that will put you in a fantastic position for for the rest of your life as well as the rest of your career. Great advice. Andrew, listen, it's been a really pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. I'm delighted that we're connected through this great medium through podcasting. And if our folks listening to this wanted to find out how they can get a copy of Ignite Your Business and indeed connect with you, what's the best place for us to send them? Yeah, well, if, if they're in Europe, um, if they go to www.igniteyourbusiness.biz, you can order the book there. Um, if you're Elsewhere in the world, in the US or uh, overseas, then it's probably best to go on Amazon um, and order it. And obviously, it's available on Kindle on Amazon as well. And you're also active on LinkedIn. So we'll make sure that we connect you through uh, that medium. And all of those links will be in our show notes as well. Yes, absolutely. And if people want to contact me again, they can go through the website or email me at andrew at igniteyourbusiness.biz. Um, because I do have you know, some very limited availability for mentoring or coaching of some leaders, um, if that's of interest to anybody. So brilliant. Please get in touch. We'd love to make that connection happen. Again, once again, thanks, Andrew, for being on the Leadership Hacker podcast. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush and I've been the Leadership Hacker.